as we read Colossians 1, 1 through 8. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God, our Father. In our prayers for you, we always thank God, the God of, uh, thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, you have heard of this hope before in the word of truth, the gospel, that has come to you. Just as it is bearing fruit and growing in the whole world, so it has been bearing fruit among yourselves from the day you heard it and truly comprehended the grace of God. This you learned from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Father, we thank you for this morning and this time to be together with brothers and sisters, Lord, and we pray right now for our hearts and our minds to be open. And in our openness, Lord, may the Spirit work and transform us more into your image. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Be seated. So I came across this picture a few months ago, and uh, it may be longer than that, but anyway, I came across this picture with a story, and it kind of, it kind of just... It grabbed me for just a minute. And so what you're looking at right now, what looks like two older men just shaking hands on the beach, uh, is actually more than just two old men shaking hands on the beach. Uh, David Silva, who would be the guy on, as you're looking at it, your left, uh, my left, David Silva was 19 years old when he landed on Omaha Beach with the 116th Infantry Regiment of the 29th Division. When David Silver reached the sand, he was hit three times in the chest by a machine gun fire on a bluff. At that same time, the guy on your right, Heinrich Severla, was on the bluff manning the machine gun. When the smoke had cleared from the day, and we all know how the D-Day story went, the Allies took the beachhead and Heinrich became a POW. Flash forward to 1960 when Silva is contacted by Heinrich. Heinrich had found Silva's name in the book The Longest Day as a survivor of a particular sector of the beach that Heinrich had been manning the machine gun. So both men met in Germany a few years later to share details about their experiences. And as they were sharing details, Heinrich realized that he was the one who shot Silva. Now to the picture, some 60 years after that moment, some 60 years after D-Day, both men met on the same landing area of Omaha Beach and shook hands. Silva said, this is what Silva said about the meeting, he said, I forgave him, even though he didn't want me to, I think he really wanted this, because he was hurting a lot. One picture, one picture that reminds us of a world that is hurting of a world that suffered through not just one world war, but two, while also offering a glimmer of hope and even a little bit of renewal. In the letter to the Colossians, Paul is going to be dealing with a community that is struggling uh, with outside influences that are impinging upon their life. Uh, while there's no real concrete definition of what's kind of going on in, Col- uh, in Colossae, uh, what many uh, theologians and, and uh, scholars call uh, a Colossae heresy is there was something going on. 
Uh, we don't really have a good concrete definition, but what we can bet is that there was a group of opponents that were emerging out of the Jewish sect with a set of ideas that they were bringing to the, uh, to the region. And, and the best way I can think about this is to say, uh, when you read Galatians, and you, and you think about how Paul speaks to the Galatians and what's kind of being taught to them, think of it as something like that. Uh, and for Paul, he sees anybody as an opponent of the gospel who brings anything else into the gospel except for Jesus. So for Paul, it's a heresy no matter what. So that's what's kind of going on here. And as N.T. Wright says about this, he says um, that as you're reading this, you're gonna, we're going to notice the warnings of chapter 2, verse 8, and 16 through 19, and also elsewhere. He sees these can be seen as contemptuous references to those who might try for reasons that we would call cultural and political as much as religious or theological, to inveigle the new believers into joining the synagogue community. So there is this uh, alternate theory of what it looks like to follow Jesus. And so Paul's speaking to this group of people in this moment over the next uh, four chapters. And it's interesting what Paul will say because the theme for this uh, series is Christ-centered. And we're going to notice that to the Colossian church, Christ is at the front. He is, at the, he is the one in which Paul roots everything that he will say to the Colossians. Well, he roots that in, as we talk about today, the hope of Christ. And so Paul opens up the letter by telling them that he, as well as Timothy, uh, in, in, chapter, in verse 3, he, as well as Timothy, are praying for the community. The Colossian community uh, dwells within the memory of Paul and others who are with Paul. So he, he immediately says in this way that I'm remembering you, uh, I, I am praying for you. And notice what he says, he says, I'm praying for you, I thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as Paul is saying this, there's some importance behind what Paul is saying. Paul is saying all good comes from God, which was embodied in Jesus. All good comes from God that's embodied in Jesus. That they too, the Colossian community, have access to this God as Father through Jesus Christ. What they do flows out of the resurrected life of Christ all the, and all the realities that come with it. And what we notice in these first eight verses is that Paul speaks of three big things. And there's three big themes that Paul speaks of we, we read uh, in 1 Corinthians 13. Paul speaks of faith, love, and hope. Faith, love, and hope is what Paul will say. That this is what comes through the person of Jesus. That their lives, like our lives, if we root them in Jesus, if we are Christ-centered people, then we can continue to move forward. That, that faith, hope, and love can be those things that give us energy and those things that help us take one step more into the day. And that all of our hopes and, and that future that we talked about last week uh, are found within the life of Christ. And as these new opponents with their new, as Paul will call them, philosophies come on to the scene, Paul is reminding the community about where their faith comes from. It doesn't come from a different philosophy, whatever that may be. It doesn't come from a different idea. That all of their hope, all of their future, all of their love finds itself in the person of Jesus. And it's one of those interesting things. If we think about how fast life can come decentered. You ever notice how fast our life can go from like you're centered to all of a sudden the next day everything just feels out of whack? It's, a, it's fascinating how fast everything becomes 
de-centered. How easy, it is, how easy it is for us to be able to follow the next best thing. Humanity, uh, you and I, are always in constant movement. We're always in the chasing mode. Uh, if something doesn't go right or if life gets hard, we can easily discard whatever it was that we saw was important that, that, we, that we centered our life on and move on to the next thing. Because that has to give us meaning and that has to give us hope. Here, Paul is encouraging the people of Colossae to stay the course, to continue moving forward in Jesus, to to hold on to their steadfast faith in Christ, which, as Paul says, has produced a love for the community, a love for their community, a love for one another. Paul says it's evidence that their faith is doing something because of how much they love. And as Brian said today, Jesus roots this, right, in love. Our identity as Christians are rooted in the very basic and simple idea, love the Lord your God with every ounce of your being, and what? Love your neighbor as yourself. Those two things, Jesus says, are what the law and the prophets hang on. Without those two things, love of God and love of of neighbor, you don't have a good witness of Jesus. And Paul says to the Colossians, I know that this is working. Continue to move forward. And how do I know that? Because of how much you love one another. This is not some Pollyanna idea. This is not some sappy idea. This is a way of life for the Christian. This is a way of life for those who root themselves in Jesus. All of this faith and all of this love as we get into the next part of the, of, of the verses. All of this, Paul says, finds its foundation finds its root, uh, roots itself, faith and love. And what Paul will say is, we'll find it in hope. And hope's a funny word when you think about it. When I think of hope, uh, I think about this old uh, soccer saying, and, and maybe you've heard of it, it's the hope that kills you. Which means for the English soccer fan, as I, I went down a rabbit hole for a few minutes in English soccer, Lord help me. Um, which means for the English football fan that facing that having no expectations or hope may be better, as your dreams may never be destroyed in cruel manner. Think about that. So why have hope in the Cowboys, right? For all of us, or you know, UT football. Sorry, Richard. Hey, by the way, you know this is the one time Razorback, fa- Razorback fans can actually say something. And let me tell you on the note, we were watching the game for all of about five minutes yesterday because I didn't really have a rooting interest either way. And Isaac's watching it with me, and Isaac looks at me and goes, Dad, the Warthogs are winning. And I was like, you're right, baby, the Warthogs are winning. Just know that. Uh, which tells you where we're at as far as the apocalypse goes. We're close. Um, But anyway, it's this interesting statement, right? The hope, it's the hope that kills you. And yet hope, Paul says, is the very thing that makes faith possible. It's the lack of hope that causes us to wander off and look for so many different things. Why? Because we're all searching for that thing that will give meaning to our existence. And let's put it this way. If you do pour all of your meaning of existence in a soccer team, you know, and they lose, it goes nowhere. 
Paul says there is a hope that is concrete. There is a hope that is your foundation that allows you to take one step forward, that allows your faith to be steadfast, that allows you to continue to endure the things of life. A meaning that shapes our future and gives us the energy and motivation to continually press forward. Faith and love find their meaning and purpose in a hope that, as Paul says in verse 5, get this, because of the hope laid up where? In heaven. Paul says there is a hope that is secured in heaven. Paul believes that this hope is the reality of our life and will become the reality soon. All that God has planned for the Colossian community, all that God has planned for you and I, have been, has been stored up and awaits us on the day we get to heaven, but also has been stored up and awaits for the day in which Jesus returns. So therefore, all of hope is stored up in the resurrected Christ. In the fact that Christ has been raised from the dead, and Christ now sits on the right hand of God. All of that hope is stored in the truth that God raised Jesus from the dead. And Paul says, that's the hope that we find ourselves in. We wait for the moment in which everything will become new again, but we also continue to move forward in love and faith with one another. And now this could be a hard thing, especially when life throws us curveballs, and life has a way of throwing us curveballs. It's easy to look up one morning and say, this is it, like that's it. We see the wars, we see the pestilence, we see the plagues all around us. And we look at the world and we say, this is it? Like, this is as far as we can go? It just doesn't feel like hope right now. And this is where Paul makes the distinction between those rooted in the center of Christ and those who are not. Hope rooted in the idea of what good should look like, and then when it doesn't come to fruition, can lose hope quickly. In fact, what Paul will say is that type of hope doesn't bear fruit. Maybe you noticed, and we'll look at 6 and 7, Paul mentions this idea of bearing fruit, bearing fruit. An idea that there is a hope that actually bears fruit, that, is, that produces something. He says it in verse 4, it produces a love of one another. But it, it has a way of doing something to us. And so when we look at our life and we think about the things that we root ourselves in, that we have hope in, Paul says a lot of those things don't produce or bear any kind of fruit. Sure, they may make you feel good, but it's amazing how the things that we have hope in only make us feel good, but it does nothing for anybody else. And for some other people, it may make them miserable. And Paul says there is a hope that produces something in you. There is a hope that is more than what this world can offer. And in fact, that's what Paul says. The world cannot offer you hope that will help you move forward and give you a future that makes sense. Those saved in Christ, Paul says in verse 6, have a hope that is a concrete reality. They have a hope. You've heard it, and you know it's real. What God did in and through the life of Christ in the resurrection is our future. 
We have been saved into a new future. We haven't been saved to wait for the new future. We have been saved into it. We've become participants in, in, in a new future. Therefore, we can live now into these realities. The community in Colossae and, and other communities, uh, you know, he's saying, you don't just get to sit around on your hands and wait for the angels to blow their trumpets and then all is right. You don't just get to sit there and wait. You don't get to throw up walls around you and do nothing. Paul's actually speaking of a hope in which he says, you got to get off your hands and you got to do something. Because this hope allows us to know that there is a better future for this world than what the world says there is. That there is a better future than just two world wars. And we notice this in Acts 10. Uh, in Acts 1, verses 10 and 11, there's this moment, right, where Jesus, we talked about this in Bible class, you know, Jesus kind of does his thing. Uh, he ascends. Which I said he did Superman or whatever, but he just went up, right? That's what he did. But in Acts 1, 10 to 11, as, as they see this happen and Jesus leaves, this is what it says. While he was going, they were gazing up towards heaven, and suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, men of Galilee, why do you, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus who's been taken up from heaven will come in the same way as you go as you saw him go into heaven. So in this moment, it happens. And like us, we're like the disciples. If we saw a guy here one minute and gone the next, we're all trying to figure out what in the heck happened, right? We're all like, huh? And all of a sudden, an angel shows up and goes, God's not done with you. Quit looking up in heaven. God's not finished with you. God doesn't need you sitting on your hands. God wants you to get moving, Hope, which is Christ-centered, and notice what the angel says here, that same Jesus who left will come back, but in the meantime, you got work to do. Hope, which is Christ-centered, hope which is rooted in Christ, emphatically says that God is not finished with you and that God is not finished with your community. And how do we know that? Because Christ was in the grave, and three days later, he was resurrected. Hope, which is Christ-centered. Hope which is born out of the waters of baptism. When new life enters our body. This is a hope that we participate in now. Hope doesn't kill us. Hope revives us. Hope gives us energy to get up for the next day. Hope gives us energy to live as Christ in the world today. And Paul encouraging the Colossian community to take hold of that hope. Which is on, which is Build, which builds them up and bears fruit, as he says in 1.6. This kind of hope, Paul is almost saying, is the contagious kind of hope. It's the kind of hope that others want to participate in because they've looked around the world and they've tried to put their hope in so many other things. And we have friends like that that go from one thing to the next. And I might be talking to you too today. You put your hope in this. Hey, I'm going to put my hope in my business. That didn't go too well. I'm going to put my hope in my 401k. Okay, that got a little interesting. Now I'm going to put my hope in my family. I'm not saying that's bad, but family. Uh, now I'm going to put my hope in this. And now I'm going to put my hope in that. And now I'm going to put my hope in that. We know friends like this. And by the way, you may have been someone like this before. And you may be still struggling with it today. And yet, nothing fills whole inside. It's empty. And you're looking for the next best thing. This kind of hope that Paul speaks about is contagious because it doesn't participate in the worldly things. It participates in something otherworldly. Christ-centered hope doesn't play the games of the world. That would be the easy way. That would be the lazy way in some ways. 
That would be the way in which we give in to the world. Humanity has been trying for centuries upon centuries to make this world a better place, only to find ourselves disappointed. And that's what's different about us. Our hope is held within the story of the gospel. It's an acknowledgement that says the ways of the world are still held captive to sin. We admit that and know that. We know that very well. But through the waters of baptism and through Jesus, we've been liberated. We've been liberated from sin. We've been liberated from the captivity of sin. We live now within the sphere of Christ. Our lives and our community are Christ-centered. And that hope is stored in Jesus. Christ who sits at the right hand of the Father. The hope that's found in heaven is the hope that will always be secured and the hope that is promised to us one day. And so therefore, hope doesn't wait. It continues to move forward. It doesn't kill us. It gives us energy. Hope gives us the strength to endure and persevere. Because our hope comes from somewhere else. It doesn't come from the dollar bill in your wallet. It doesn't come from the bank account that you read on your computer. It doesn't come from your car or your house or your job title. It comes from somewhere else. It comes from heaven. And if that's the case, then whatever life can throw at us, we can make it to the next day. I read a good thing that said, we have a tendency of saying this, and maybe you've heard it, maybe you've said it, to say, life's just not going the way I'm going. It should be going. And a writer wrote, Richard Rohr said it this way, he goes, we have a tendency of saying that about life. And really it's about the situation of life in that moment. And so then, in that situation, how do you move forward? What gives you the energy to push past that, to look beyond that. Paul says the hope in Jesus allows us to see a future beyond the moment of the life situation that you're in. So the situation that you're in right now is just a moment. It's not all of life. I know it feels like that. I get it. But it's just a moment in life. And Christ speaks into your life for all of life and says not only do you have this life, you have eternal life. And not only this world is not the end, there's a much better world. Read the end of Revelation for that. Hope doesn't wait, but hope moves forward. Living, living a hope that is impossible to man, but, possible, but made possible in Jesus. We can be a testimony to living different in the new world. And as Marianne May Thompson said, and I like how she said it this way, she says, it has to also do with the beginning of life in Christ. For such life lives in and with the hope that this that the world does not determine its own course, and that the death-dealing ways of the world are not the final word written over it. Putting it in another way, a second world war in which two men saw each other's enemies, so much so that one shot the other one. The ways of death in the world. Yet in the end, both men find themselves on a beach, shaking hands, offering forgiveness, and a new story is written. A story that sits on top of that one. As Christ-centered people, we have a knowledge of Christ which tells us the story isn't finished, which tells us the moment that we're in now is not the final moment, that God has reached into the world through Christ and salvation has entered into it. We are products of that saving grace. We are the products of a hope that is otherworldly. We have the hope of heaven residing in us. So why don't we be people who trust in that plan? 
And maybe in your moment right now, you're in a situation of life that doesn't feel right, that just feels hopeless. Maybe you're a Christian and you're just feeling hopeless. It's easy. The world can do that to us. Maybe you need to see the vision of a new world. And maybe you need a vision of a new world. Jesus offers that today. He offers that to renew your life, to offer your life a new hope, a new story on top of maybe the one you're writing. Jesus says, I could write a better story. There's opportunity for that. There's someone you can talk to next to you. There's elders who will be down front. I'll be down front. But come now as we stand and as we sing.